Wisconsin shuts down the Illini offense during its homecoming celebration. Painted pianos pop up through Decatur to spread art, joy, and music. More on these stories, I'm Kelsey Watsonauer. I'm Sierra Henry. And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. Uh, today, we're go- before we get into the um, bulk of our news coverage, we're going to talk about Jelani, uh, his memorial service this weekend, and his life uh, from the words of his friends, uh, former teachers, and teammates. As a sort of tribute to Jelani Day, who, um, if you've missed the last six weeks or so, of the podcast. He is a 25-year-old ISU graduate student who um, disappeared on August 25th, I believe it was, um, and his body was pulled from the Illinois River on September 4th. Um, LaSalle, the LaSalle County Coroner identified him on the 23rd of September. Uh, so as sort of a tribute to Jelani, uh, we, Sierra and I, as, as well as our photographer, David Praper, went to Danville last week and spent some time talking to the people who knew him during his life there, because um, he's from Danville, that's where he grew up. Uh, we spoke with um, a few of his teachers and an old family friend who spoke about, they spoke a lot about his smile and his laugh and his, uh, unwavering confidence you might say um even one of his teachers told us that when Jelani was a student when this kid was like 16 years old the teacher was jealous of how confident he was so that um tells you a little bit about uh how the people that interacted with him saw him uh we also spoke with um Sierra actually talked to people from Alabama A&M University where he went to when where Jelani went to undergrad and spoke with some of the people in his uh his professors in the speech pathology uh, department which is not what it was called but I forget what it was called the correct department um so yeah and they had a lot of stories about uh who he was as a student and um we all we spoke to one of his track coaches from high school as well who had a lot to say about what kind of leader he was and uh, the kind of presence and how hardworking Jelani was during his life. Yeah, and we just um, heard some stories from friends about how he liked to joke around and how he had this really great laugh that once he started laughing, you know, the teachers couldn't get a hold of the the classroom, essentially. Um, he seemed like he was a really sweet, caring person. Uh, it was incredibly hard to write about. Um, and then, of course, this weekend was the memorial service, which Kelsey covered, uh, which was also very beautiful, beautifully done. And we're all, you know, thinking of his family. And as far as the funeral service went, that was in Danville last Saturday. It was a it was a pretty long service, but I think... Um, that kind of went to show how much of an impact this person had on his community. There were so many, that auditorium was packed. So many people wanted to pay tribute to him. He, every organization he was a part of was there and made a resolution in his name. And there was such, there was so much music and joy as well as 
such a shared grieving and we got to hear from his mother and his four siblings as well as his father and his grandmother and his aunt and it was really it was really uh it was really special so um Today, the LaSalle County Coroner released uh, toxicology reports, which of course we've been waiting on as the police have continued their investigation and have not released a cause of death. Uh, they have continuously said that they're pending toxicology results. Kelsey, you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, uh, we received the tox report. Sorry, we received the toxicology results um, this afternoon, and. Uh, from the result, which was done by an independent lab out of Pennsylvania, the results indicate he had uh, caffeine, a byproduct of nicotine, and a byproduct of cannabis in his system. So, um, in the in the report, it said that the amount in the system was not toxicologically significant. Usually, so um, the LaSalle County coroner would not comment on the results, but um, from my interpretation this does not lead to a cause of death by any means. So that question is still out there, um, has not been answered by any law enforcement or the coroner's office or any sort of scientific testing yet, um, at least as far as they've not released it to the public. So we are still um, following this case as diligently as we can, um, following up with the sheriff's office, following up with the coroner, um, anyone we can talk to about this. If you want to find all of our reporting on Jelani, uh, I believe it's on all of our sites, but primarily it's on panograph.com. And there we have uh, a bunch of submitted photos from his family, not his family, I'm sorry. We have a bunch of submitted photos from his friends and teachers and coaches, and uh, as well as some uh, videos from the funeral service um, and some photos as well. Anything else, sorry. And with that, we're going to move into some business news. Uh, ground broke this week in Bloomington on what will be the first Ferrero chocolate processing plant in North America. The Italy-based company has begun construction of its 70,000-square-foot facility, which is expected to be completed by spring of 2023. It will be Ferrero's third chocolate processing plant in the world. The project is set to cost around $75 million and create 50 jobs in Bloomington. It will also be built right next to the existing 226,000-square-foot Ferrero building in Bloomington which currently manufactures 100 grand, raisinets, crunch, and bunch of crunch using chocolate processed in Europe. If you want to read more about the Ferrero and their plans, you can find Kate Heather's full story at Panagraph.com. Kelsey's going to take us into some local government news, uh, starting with what's going on in Macon County. Population loss has led to redistricting conflicts for the Macon County Board. Republican members proposed reducing the board from 21 to 15 seats to reflect the population loss, but Macon County Democrats called for protests in response, accusing their Republican colleagues of disenfranchising black voters with this proposal. Carl Coleman, chairman for the County Democrats, said the Republicans' proposed map would infringe upon the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Instead, they support a redistricting plan that keeps the existing number of seats and was drawn up by the Republican County Clerk, Josh Tanner, which Coleman said is in the spirit of bipartisanship. 
The Republican caucus was to meet Thursday evening, and board chairman Kevin Greenfield said all option options would be presented. For all the background and to follow updates on the Macon County redistricting, find Tony Reid's reporting at herald-review.com. Bloomington Mayor Mamoka Milwambly has yet to fill a vacant seat on the city council, and several residents have criticized him for recommending a formal council member who lost the same seat in the 2019 election. The Ward 6 seat has been vacant since Alderman uh, Jin Carrillo resigned on August 30th, serving just two years of a four-year term. An email shared to the social media by a current council member showed that Milwambly is considering to appoint Karen Schmidt to the seat, who lost to Carrillo by 42 votes in 2019. A replacement must be chosen by October 30th. Bloomington reporter Kate Heather has all the details and more, so if you want to know what's going to be done, um, Bloomington reporter Kate Heather has all the details and more, so if you want to know what's going on with the council appointment and more, you can find his story at pantograph.com. Kelsey's going to tell us about some blood donations in our health news. Blood inventories have hit critical levels for Carl Broman Medical Center and Carl Eureka Hospital due to a nationwide shortage. The hospitals are asking community members to give blood at Red Cross donation centers at the Westport Court location in Bloomington or at the John H. Gwynn Jr. site in Peoria. There is a special need for type O blood. There's a special need for type O blood donations, according to the Red Cross. The blood supply is at the lowest it's been in six years, and Red Cross said it needs to collect 10,000 additional blood donations each week for the next month to keep up with hospital demand. To read more about the nationwide blood shortage and how you can help, find Lindsay Jones' full report at pantograph.com. A 79-year-old Mattoon woman's wish to see her loved one's faces again was fulfilled this week. Gloria Lindy, who has uh, macular degeneration, which has affected her eyesight, received a pair of high-tech eSight 4 glasses from the Mattoon Lions Club and Twilight Wish Foundation. The Twilight Wish Foundation is a national nonprofit organization which seeks to honor and enrich the lives of seniors through intergenerational wish-granting celebrations. The organization grants wishes to seniors who are over 65 years old and have an income of less than 200% the poverty level or who are residents of a nursing facility and cannot make their own wishes come true. Gloria has very poor eyesight and is legally blind. The eSight electronic eyewear helps her read eye charts at a 20-40 level, but the glasses were too expensive at $6,000 per pair. Uh, to read more about Gloria and her wish, find Rob Stroud's story at jg-tc.com. And moving into education news, rising COVID cases and a staffing shortage led Hayward schools to pivot to remote learning this week for an adaptive pause. Superintendent Lisa Taylor said positive cases in the elementary school nearly tripled in the last week. So those students have been in remote learning all week with the intent to return Monday if there are no significant increases. District-wide, more than 75 people were in quarantine as of Tuesday, and a majority of those were from the elementary. Very few were in quarantine at the junior high and high school level when this announcement was made, so those students returned to in-person learning on Thursday after district administration consulted with the McLean County Health Department. To read more on how schools are navigating rising cases and staffing issues and to hear from the regional superintendent, you can find my story at panagraph.com. Decatur High School students spoke to the school board this week over concerns about fights and violence in Eisenhower and MacArthur High Schools. Daniel Flores, who attends MacArthur, told the school board that students would like to see more security in the halls due to the disruptive fights. Another student, Siler Tracy, said that students are having a hard time moving through the halls and getting to class due to the chaotic nature of the fights. Others said that while they appreciate the increase in random security checks of bags and metal detecting wands, they would like to see 
more clear communication from the board and the administration on their plans to address the violence. To read more about what's been going on at these schools and for more on the school board meeting, find Valerie Wells' story at heraldhyperreview.com. And now moving into sports, Kelsey's going to start us off with some Millican wrestling. Wrestlers at Millican University took Decatur police officers to the mat this week, offering a lesson on takedowns. The Big Blue wrestling team worked with officers who were looking to improve their ability to apprehend and control someone non-violently. Tuesday was the team's third session with police instructors, and while several officers have some martial arts experience, they said wrestling techniques offer a very different way to exercise control without harm. Millican coach Ryan Burt said wrestling is all about control, so the sport lends itself to safety and body awareness, and the techniques are not as damaging as other methods might be. Herald and Review reporter Bat Flotten was in the gym this week and has the full story along with some videos of the training session for you to check out over at herald-review.com. The Fighting Illini went scoreless last weekend when the team hosted Wisconsin for its homecoming game. The Badgers shut down the Illini offense and pulled off a 24-0 victory, the team's first conference win of the year. The University of Illinois team finished with a season-low 26 rushing yards, and between two quarterbacks, their passing game was 11 of 34 for 67 yards. In stark contrast, Wisconsin racked up 491 yards of total offense during Saturday's game. Illini running back Chase Brown carried the team's longest play of the day with a 23-yard run in the second quarter. The matchup brought Illini coach Brett Bielma head-to-head with his former program, having led the Badgers to three straight Big Ten titles during his six-year tenure with the team. Uh, Full coverage of the game and the homecoming festivities from Illini reporter James Boyd can be found across our three sites, herald-review.com, panagraph.com, and jg-tc.com. I was at the game. It was a bloodbath. (laughs) And now we're going to move into public safety. So, Kelsey, take it away. Arguments for a Decatur murder trial are set for October 27th. Dimitri Bowie, who's 42, is accused of stabbing and killing his younger brother, Daryl Bowie on June 16th of 2019. Prosecutors argued that Dimitri stabbed Daryl after becoming fed up with his behavior. Herald Review reporter Tony Reed wrote that the assistant making County State's attorney, Stephen Ferdell, had told the judge he didn't have an eyewitness, a murder weapon linking Dimitri Bowie, or any physical evidence, but he said meticulous reconstruction of the defendant's movements through the cell phone records clearly pointed to him as his brother's killer. Dimitri remains in custody of the Macon County Jail with a bail set at $1.5 million. To read more about this case, you can find Tony's story at herald-review.com. Bloomington firefighters got a little extra training in fighting propane fires this week. The department participated in the Illinois Fire Service Institute liquefied petroleum gas firefighting training program at the Bloomington Fire Station. The training focused on preventing a boiling liquid expanding vapor explosion, which involves using water to cool down the propane tank before it explodes and releasing gas to drop its pressure before shutting it off. To read more about what the firefighters did this week to prepare for any potential propane fires, find Brendan Dennison's story at paintergraph.com. We also have some photos of the training event. And video. And video. Um, and that's going to do it for us today. We're going to move into some community news, and we actually have two fun stories this week. So, Kelsey, <laughs> take it away. 
Walking through Decatur, one might stumble upon a colorful painted piano or two. The Public Painted Pianos Project in Macon County has installed several musical artworks throughout the city as a way to spread music, art, and joy. The project was started by organizer Gail Fike, who had viewed a Millican University student's artwork. She brought together 11 artists to hand-paint pianos and place them around the city. This is a really cool story about art and music, so if you want to read more, you can find Donette Beckett's story at herald-review.com, and I dare you to say Public Painted Pianos Project five times fast. Public Painted Pianos Project. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Musical Theater is returning to Mattoon this week with a production called 2021 Fall Follies, Pure Imagination. After the COVID-19 pandemic canceled the 2020 season, the Mattoon Arts Council is sponsoring the shows set for 7 p.m. Friday and Saturday and 7 p.m. October 22nd and 23rd in the train depot's Lone Elm Room at 1718 Broadway Avenue. Led by scriptwriter Matthew Gerard Burns, the 12-member cast brings a show centered on a singer who lost the connection to her imagination. The other characters perform Broadway show tunes, rock and roll, disco, and other music in attempts to help her get back in touch with her imagination. JGTC reporter Rob Stroud caught up with the cast this week as they prepare to get back on the stage to hear how they're feeling and what to expect from the show and how to get tickets. Be sure to find his story at jg-tc.com. And this week, Kelsey and I are actually going to see a musical. Oh my god, I forgot! Yeah, we're going to go see um, Grimm's, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, I think uh, Grimm's Fairy Tales, which is a blend of hip-hop musical elements uh, telling the story of the Brother Grimm's fairy tales, like uh, Little Red Riding Hood and Rumpelstiltskin. Um, Something about a witch in the woods. What am I thinking of? uh, Hansel and Gretel? Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. Sorry. I genuinely forgot that was this weekend. I'm so excited. It looks so cool. It's like, it's like, I was going to say the Hamlet that's literally what my boyfriend said oh god why are we the same person austin was literally like oh they're copying hamilton and i was like no it's It's different it's different um i've never watched hamilton but anyways um yeah no it's gonna be cool we're too poor to actually buy tickets to see like the um the BCPA fundraiser that is like based around this musical where they have like a bunch of like artwork based on the Grimm's fairy tale and that's going to be auctioned off and stuff and is actually like a fun cool costume party um we're only going to the show <laughs> we're only going to the show I really wanted the tickets were $75 though and as much as I do love the arts and would love to support it I um have you need to like pay rent i have money yeah i have money that <laughs> needs to go elsewhere so um i just really couldn't do it this year but maybe next year, maybe next year. Uh, we're very excited for the show though so i think it's gonna be cool if you're going to be in bloomington you should check it out the tickets are not that expensive mm, like uh go down to like 18 dollars around there yeah very Let's affordable see. yeah um so yeah well i think that's gonna do it for us today folks as always, if you're enjoying this podcast and are reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to Pantograph.com, Herald-Review.com, and GG-TC.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism. Oh, do you guys keep those uh, promotional ads that we got made? 
<laughs> yeah. Thank you, Janelle, uh, with the Panagraph for putting those together. They look, they look great. awesome. They look great. We're so excited. Uh, we hope to increase our audience, increase our ex- our what word am I thinking of? <laughs> we hope to increase our audience. Um, I have no idea what And of. yeah, follow us. Oh, I, you, we can also follow us on Twitter. We haven't promoted our Twitter accounts in a while. I'm at PG underscore Sierra Henry. And I'm at K Watson R. I bet you can't spell it. W A T Z N A U E R. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, hope, hope, for, hope for more listeners. And we hope to, you know, we'll put out, we'll, we'll be better at this. We're going to keep getting better at this too. So it's, it'll be quality stuff you're listening to. It has been a year. But we get better every time. So thank you. Okay.